welcome to the Portland General Baptist Youth Podcast. If you're new to our church, my name is Rory Anderson, and I'm the youth director at Portland General Baptist Church in Portland, Tennessee. As of the writing of this episode, it is April the 7th, 2020, and we've not had a normal service in a few weeks due to the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. I hope you're all safe, healthy, socially distanced, and or quarantined if needed. We are currently posting all of our church's services online via our podcast, so be sure to stay to the end of this episode for information on how you can find more of our recordings. excited for this particular episode. This is the first youth podcast episode and it is dropping just in time for Easter. This is part one of a two-part Easter special. Over the first two episodes, we're going to be looking at two of the most overlooked but perhaps most important events in the book of Genesis. Hopefully, you have your Bibles in hand. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 3 as we begin our study together. going to try doing this on Facebook Live, but for some reason the video feed kept cutting out, and uh, so that's not going to work, but that's all right. I'm just going to go ahead and record the audio for this lesson, and um, it has taken me a couple of days to get all of this together, trying to uh, make sure the recording equipment is good to go. I've been playing with the microphone for a while. I might actually take this one back. I'm not a Uh, 100% pleased with it, but that's okay. Um, I know that you can hear me and understand everything, whether the sound quality is that great or not. It's probably just because my voice is so nasally. But uh, anyway, we're just going to go ahead and go with what we've got. And um, just, just to begin, today's lesson could probably be summed up in just one word, and that word is mercy. Mercy and grace are sort of similar. Um, They're not exactly the same in definition. Um, We're going to talk about mercy more so today than grace. Uh, But mercy is having a punishment that you deserve withheld from you. Uh, Many of us have experienced mercy in one way or another. Uh, So, for example, a teacher at school has probably threatened you with a detention if you don't turn in your homework. And sure enough, you come into class without your homework. You're waiting for the teacher to write out your detention slip, and they don't. Instead, they tell you that you have one more day to turn it in, but they're taking 10 points off for tardiness. Uh, That's mercy, uh, not receiving the full punishment that you deserve. Um, I actually uh, have had many run-ins with mercy, and, and one in particular that comes to mind is when I was a freshman in college, I was driving on the interstate back to campus after a break, and uh, I was actually driving with a pack of other drivers. I, I didn't know any of them, but we were all driving together on the interstate, and uh, we're all doing about the same speed. I'm just listening to my music, watching the road, but completely oblivious to everything else that's going on around me. 
uh, including the highway patrol officer who was sitting in the median with his radar gun out. Uh, I didn't even see him until I was passing by him. Uh, And, of course, when I saw him, I looked down at my speedometer and was just as shocked as my mother was when I told her (laughs) how fast I was going. And my speedometer read 94 miles per hour. Uh, The speed limit was only 70. Uh, So I was going pretty fast. I was just going with the flow of traffic. I wasn't even trying to go fast, but, of course, there there was no denying how fast I was driving. When I saw the cop and realized what was happening, the blood completely drained from my face. My stomach dropped. The adrenaline began to course through my veins, and I got maybe a quarter mile down the road when I glanced in my rearview mirror. Yeah, he was pulling out of the median, lights were flashing, I knew he was coming after me. So I I pulled over and he pulled in behind me on the shoulder. He got out, took my license and registration. And if you haven't done the math already, I was going almost 25 miles an hour over the speed limit. Many of you know that uh, 20 miles an hour or faster in most places is classified as reckless driving. This this guy could have arrested me on the spot for reckless driving. Um, but uh, he handed me the ticket. It was still bad, but uh, it, it was not as bad as it could have been. He actually wrote me down for 86 miles an hour, uh, several miles an hour slower <laughs> than I was actually going. Um, so... It was worse than what I should have been doing, but uh, not as bad as what I was doing. And uh, that day, I I deserved the full penalty of my crime, per se, but uh, that officer, for whatever reason, decided to show me mercy. Um, He did not give me the full penalty that was owed to me that day. And uh, actually, neither did the judge, because I had to go to to traffic court, and uh, even the judge... Uh, did not give me the full penalty of going 86 miles an hour in a 70. Uh, he ended up basically waiving the ticket and uh, um, asking me to just pay the court costs and uh, then a couple of hours worth of driving school. Um, but uh, that that's that's one instance for me personally that sticks out in my mind of somebody having mercy on me. Um, But today's lesson, although it is about mercy, is going to be focused uh, more so in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Um, It's a very, very familiar passage. Everybody has heard this story at one point or another most of the time. You know, when you're when you're a wee little kid, and uh, everybody knows the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and... um, you know, God tells Adam, uh, don't eat from this particular tree. You can eat anything that you want in this garden, any fruit from any tree, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And um, what happens? Adam and Eve eat the fruit that they're not supposed to. Uh, Satan, as a serpent, has tempted them. They fall into that temptation, and they give in to the sin. Um, but 
there is something about this particular passage, especially, well, overall, generally in chapter 3, there's a couple of different things that most people look over when they read this passage. And uh, so today's lesson is going to look at the first uh, the first thing that people miss, and then the next lesson, the next episode, is going to go over the second thing that most people miss when they read this passage. Uh, but we're in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I am going to go ahead and read, and uh, then we'll get into it. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And then I read out of the New King James Version. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Again, this is one of the most familiar passages in Scripture. Uh, We are taught the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden at a very young age. And uh, most of us could probably detail uh, the exact series of events that unfolds in in Genesis chapter 3. Um. So let's let's kind of go over a little bit of what's going on here. Just just prior to chapter three in in chapter two, God has already told Adam of every tree of the garden. This is chapter two, verses sixteen and seventeen. He says, "Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die." Now it could have been just just as sufficient for God to say, if you eat that fruit, then you're going to die. But something very interesting uh, is said by God. He says, the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And and that's basically just an emphasis there from God saying, if you eat this, it, it's not just going to harm you. It is not just going to make you sick. Uh, it's it's not going to cause you to lose a limb. This is this is essentially God saying, not only will you die, but you will doubly <laughs> die. You will surely die if you eat this fruit. Now, of course, the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is um, maybe one of the more controversial concepts. Uh, one of the more controversial items in scripture when it comes to unbelievers Um, but uh, many of us believers know that this is a test of obedience in scripture and uh, God not being surprised by anything that unfolds here in in Genesis chapters 2 and 3 puts the tree in the garden anyway and uh, we find out actually towards the end of chapter 3 why this is done but uh, th- this is this is the beginning of 
all of human history. This is the beginning not just of creation, not just of God's conversations with man, um, but this is specifically the beginning of sin for humanity. And when God said, in that in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die, he really meant it. There was no, there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And uh, we can kind of infer, basically, from the passage, the rest of chapter 2, that Adam had to have discussed this with Eve uh, because God tells Adam, don't eat of this fruit. And then it's after that conversation when God makes Eve. In verse 22 of chapter 2, God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. They were not really told of any conversation between Adam and Eve, but in chapter 3, when the serpent confronts Eve, we see that Eve responds with the information that God gave to Adam. So Adam's got kind of a one-up here. He, he, has already, he has already instructed his wife Eve to not eat of the fruit, and the reason why we don't eat of the fruit is because we shall surely die. Uh, Eve doesn't say it exactly like that. Um, if you pay attention to what she says in verse 2, um, after after the serpent uh, basically challenged God's instruction, saying, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Eve's response is essentially the same thing that God said earlier on in chapter 2, but she changes it just slightly. She says, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, I don't remember God saying in chapter 2 that you can't even touch it, uh, but that may have been Eve's way of telling the serpent, no, this is a big deal, we shouldn't eat it, or it may have been Adam's way of, of telling Eve, hey, this is a big deal, don't eat it, don't even touch it, because uh, you're going to die. But it's interesting that Eve says, lest you die. It doesn't say that you shall surely die. So it's almost like the consequence of eating the fruit has been lessened a little bit. So the importance of not eating it and not touching it has increased. But it seems that already in chapter 3, the consequence of this particular disobedience has already begun to be diminished. It's already begun to be lessened. So, several things going on here in chapter 3 in these first seven verses. This discussion between the serpent and Eve is very well known. And, uh, of course, in verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. That was the first physical act of sin from humanity, or at least a lot of people like to say that that's the first physical human act of sin. But what a lot of people miss, there's actually two things here that we're gonna, that, that a lot of people miss. Uh, the first one is kind of a lesser uh, item, and I'll go ahead and point that out to you right now. It's the very last sentence of verse 6. Eve also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Many times, whenever we talk about this event in the Garden of Eden, 
we always think about, or at least it's always presented to us in a way where the serpent and Eve are talking. The serpent convinces Eve to eat the fruit. Eve eats the fruit, and she's like, hey, this is great. And then she goes off and takes this fruit to Adam, who, I don't know, was at home or somewhere else, and says, hey, eat this fruit, and then he eats and then they both realize that, that they're naked and that they've done something gravely wrong. But Scripture doesn't actually say that. It actually says she also gave to her husband with her. Adam was right there alongside Eve when the serpent was talking to Eve and trying to tempt her into eating the fruit. Most people don't really consider that Adam was a silent third party here, almost. He could have, or should have, been the husband, been the man of the house, and protected his wife from this wily serpent, this more cunning than any beast of the field serpent. Um, But for some reason, he stood idly by while his wife was tempted, and essentially caused the very first sin which resulted in the fall of man. Now, earlier on in chapter 3 in the very first verse, it says something very interesting. It says, The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And traditionally, throughout Christian history, uh, throughout biblical history, it's understood that the serpent is Satan himself, that Satan, the great fallen angel from heaven, uh, took on the form of this serpent. And uh, many of us understand the serpent to be a snake. I don't think that um, that's exactly right when you take into consideration um, what a serpent is by definition. Uh, It doesn't historically seemed to be a snake but uh, it it says that this serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field and if this serpent was indeed Satan um, then Satan is more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made and and that is true Uh, he he, he is exceedingly cunning Um, he has been around almost since the very 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 beginning and has had ample time to learn how to deceive um how to trick people, how to lie to people, how to uh, tempt people, how to uh, cause them to sin. Uh, He is exceedingly cunning. And there is a very good example of that in chapter 3, but I'm not talking about how he was able to convince Eve to eat of the fruit. There's actually something else here that happens, or actually doesn't happen and in my estimation I think the reason why many people miss this is because in a way they have been deceived uh, when it comes to Genesis chapter 3 I don't want to say that um, uh, I've got some sort of uh, special insight here. Um, this is this is simply this is simply a result of, of studying but um, In Genesis chapter 2, we 
One of the biggest misconceptions of this passage, Genesis chapter 3, is that this passage is about Adam and Eve. Because that's that's how the story is always presented to us. It's always presented to us, Adam and Eve ate the fruit, causing the fall of man. And for the most part, that's, that's correct. Uh, that is exactly what happened. Um, but this story, this passage here, ultimately, though it does include that, and that is true, ultimately this passage is not about Adam and Eve. Let me, let me point something out here to you. Not only is the serpent, not only is Satan more cunning than any beast of the field, he's actually so cunning that he has caused a majority of people to miss probably one of two of the most important parts of chapter 3. It's not something that happened. It's actually something that didn't happen. It is not recorded in Genesis chapter 3 that when they ate the fruit, they died. In fact, the exact opposite happened. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they continued to live. So chapter 2, God says, if you eat the fruit, you're going to die. Chapter 3, they eat the fruit and don't die. This, This was only pointed out to me maybe five or six, seven years ago. And when it was when it was brought to my attention, it blew my mind. I cannot believe I was I was so upset that I had missed this for so many years. But when Adam and Eve eat the fruit, they don't die. Why is that significant? Because we've been thinking that this passage is about Adam and Eve. And we've been thinking it's about Adam and Eve and the fruit and the serpent and the Garden of Eden being perfect. And now sin has entered the world. And while all of those things are correct, that's not what this is about. It's pointing to something much bigger. When God said the punishment was going to be death, and they ate of the fruit and did not die, that was God's first exercise of mercy. If you'll recall, back to the beginning of this lesson, I said that today's lesson could be summed up in one word, and that word is mercy. It's when you deserve a punishment, and yet that punishment is withheld from you, or at least you don't receive the full extent of the punishment that you don't that you deserve. And here in chapter 3, Adam and Eve willfully sin against God, having already been promised that if they eat of this fruit, they will surely die, and God does not kill them. One of the most commonly asked questions by believers and unbelievers alike is why does God allow bad things to happen? Uh, Many people are pointing to, uh, I'm going to go ahead and date this recording, but uh, many people point to the current uh, coronavirus pandemic as as a either proof that God does exist or proof that he doesn't exist. Because if God is so loving, why would he allow something so deadly or so dangerous to hurt so many people and affect the economy and, and just 
turn things completely upside down for so long. If God really does love us like he says he does in the Bible, then why is there a coronavirus? Why is there any disease? Why is there any suffering? Why is there any heartache or crying or anything like that? Surely God does not exist because a loving God would not allow these things to happen. I want to point out a verse in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It's a very familiar verse. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We deserve death simply because we've sinned against God. And yet here we are. We sin against God almost hourly, many of us, at least daily, and if not daily, every other day or something. But uh, we sin all the time. Even if we don't wake up that morning and plan on doing it, throughout the day, we even internally act on some thoughts that we have. Uh, Many of us like to just meditate on our sinful thoughts, but we're all guilty of sin. And if the wages of sin is death, and we are still here, what is happening? Think back to Genesis chapter 3. God said they were going to die when they ate the fruit, and yet they didn't die. Does that make God a liar? Is God suddenly dishonest? Because, hey, Adam, you're going to die if you eat that fruit. And then he eats it and he doesn't die. Did God lie to begin with? Did God forget that he said he that, that Adam was going to die if he ate the fruit? No, of course not. So it wasn't that God lied. It wasn't that God forgot anything because God can't forget anything. But what we see here is an act of mercy that God withheld punishment that Adam and Eve deserved. And it's the same thing with us today. Every single day that we live and we sin again and we don't die is just another day that God has extended his mercy to us. It happens constantly. We don't wake up every day because we did something so great the day before that pleased God. We wake up every single day because God is merciful to us. And you look at events, you look at things around the world like the coronavirus or maybe uh, the earthquakes that have been going on or like like the, uh, the fires in Australia earlier this year. It just seems like there's one thing right after another and... and uh, you know, all of those things have their, their place. All of those things have their reason. God has his reasons uh, for, for allowing those things to happen. But we should recognize that each day that we get up, each day that, that we find ourselves here alive and awake and well, <laughs> at least for the most part, um, is, is an extension of God's mercy in the same way that God did not strike Adam and Eve down for sinning in the Garden of Eden, for causing the entire fall of humanity, in the same way that God relented and withheld that punishment, He does the same thing to us today. So what is the point of the lesson today? The point of the lesson today is to recognize God's mercy every day that we wake up. Even though things look grim, even though things look things look a little gloom, 
Things look doom. <laughs> Things look like uh, they're terrible or like there's no end in sight to the suffering. We can still recognize God's mercy in the suffering. But we'll find out in the next episode, in the next lesson, uh, what that reason was. It is perhaps the second most overlooked passage in Genesis chapter 3. And it will help us all understand not just God's mercy, like in today's lesson, but it will help us understand God's grace in the next lesson. We hope you enjoyed listening to this lesson. Brother Larry Treadway's Sunday morning sermons, Dr. Rich Roberts' Sunday school lessons, and my youth lessons will continue to be posted weekly to our podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. You can also find these recordings on our website at www.portlandgbc.org. Again, that's www.portlandgbc.org. In the meantime, stay safe and may God bless you.